Welcome back to 80s Action Pod in 1988. I am Jay the Movie Guy, amateur podcaster. I do this for fun, a chance to reminisce, to rewatch uh, old movies, old TV shows. My last episode, rewatch WrestleMania 3. But uh, this week, we're going to be talking about Die Hard. And a uh, funny story about Die Hard is uh, in 1988, when the movie came out, I was 15 years old. And I was living in upstate New York at a church camp. And on the weekends, the staff would, the staff who didn't go home, they would go somewhere. We'd either drive north or drive south, go to either Watertown, New York, or down to Utica, New York, and uh, go go to the mall, go miniature golfing, go go karting, you know, just just fun stuff to get over from the week. And uh, this this weekend, we went up to upstate New York, where up up to Watertown. And we were at the mall, and the one lifeguard, his name was Jerry, was like, hey, I want to see this new Bruce Willis movie. And I knew Bruce Willis from Moonlighting. And uh, the the only other movie I ever remember him in before Die Hard was uh, Blind Date, which was a comedy. So I was like, all right, yeah, sure, I'll go. Well, we get there, and I realized the movie's rated R. And I'm 15, and I was like, oh, I can't go, it's rated R. And Jerry's like, oh, come on. They won't even they won't even question it. Won't even bat an eye. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm 15, rated R, 17 and under, not admitted. And one thing about me is, is I'm tall. I'm a very tall guy. And at the age of 15, I was six foot one. And he's like, they won't even bat an eye. They won't even say anything. So, all right, we get up there. And he buys his ticket up there and I said one for Die Hard and he was right nobody even batted an eye bought the ticket went in I was freaking out for no reason but it's funny is because Die Hard was the first rated R movie I saw at the movie theater and at this point seeing a movie at the movie theater was like like a huge treat for uh, me and my family I mean as I said before before I moved to Ohio I could probably count the count all the movies I saw in the movie theater on my my fingers and my toes. Maybe 20 total in that time frame. And as I said, this was the first rated R movie I've seen at the theaters. Now, I had seen other rated R movies um, either recorded off of HBO or on late night TV. One that sticks with me most is when I saw Terminator for the first time. And it was edited out, so... Uh, when I finally got to see the uh, the unedited cut, and it was like an entirely different movie, which even made it more scarier for being a uh, sci-fi horror movie. It, that's exactly what Terminator is, is a sci-fi horror movie. And so, but as I said, Die Hard was the first rated R movie I saw at the theaters. And I believe, I'm almost positive that the next rated R movie I saw in the theaters wasn't until 91 when I saw T2 uh, Terminator Judgment Day. So I just always think it's funny. I've always got this little connection with Die Hard about how I felt like I was sneaking in seeing a rated R movie. And I mean, honestly, I've, I've had friends who've worked at movie theater since then. It's like, they really don't care. I mean, I take my, I take my daughter, who's, she just, she's 17 now, but even before then, would go see movies all the time and 
I mean, I have no problem seeing seeing rated R movies or letting them see rated R movies because they find more they find more stuff on the internet, anyways. So that's just my little funny story about Die Hard, and uh, as I said, how I felt like I was sneaking into a rated R movie. Let's talk about Die Hard. Wide release date was July 22nd, even though it was released in a limited number of theaters the week before. So, what happens in Die Hard? Well, hopefully you've already seen it because it's one of the greatest action movies of all time. So, Christmas Eve, New York City Police Department Detective John McClane arrives in L.A. He's wanting to reconcile with his his, uh, wife, Holly, at a party held by by uh, the Nakatomi Corporation where she works. He's driven to the plaza by a limo driver named Argyle who picks, picked him up at the airport. Argyle offers to wait for McLean in the garage just in case he wants to leave. While McLean changes clothes, the tower is seized by German radical Hans Gruber and his heavily armed team, including Carl, Theo, and everyone in the tower is taken hostage, except for McLean who slipped away. But while he was in Holly's office, he was cleaning up, he was refreshing up, and he took his shoes off because the guy in the airplane told him to make balls with your toes in carpeting. And then when all the, when all the crap goes down, he's halfway between his shoes and halfway between his gun. So when the shooting started, he went for the gun and out the door he went, leaving his shoes there. So now he's roaming barefoot. So Gruber posing as a terrorist is trying to steal over 600 million in untraceable bearer bonds that the building that uh, Nakatomi Tower has in the vault. Um, he kills the executive before, because he wouldn't give him the access code. So they basically had to do it the, uh, the hard way where they're going to have to cut through the vault. However, when he, when he kills them, this is all of a sudden the terrorists are, uh, they now know McLean is there. One of the terrorists, Tony, is sent after him. Uh, McLean kills him, takes his weapon and radio. And he uses the radio to uh, contact the uh, LAPD. And they're skeptical on what's going on. So they send over Sergeant Al Powell, played by Reginald Val Johnson from Family Matters. And, uh, and well, a little bit of shootout goes out. Uh, to get his attention, John McLean throws the terrorist out the window and into his car with the... Uh, Welcome to the party, pal line. So, well, pal is there. Trying to, uh, McLean is now, he's killed a few more terrorists. As I said, he threw one out the window. And he recovers a bag of C4 and detonators. And uh, pal is now calling for backup and SWAT. And they, they want to storm the building. And uh, the terrorists end up actually... Uh, having a pinned down so McLean takes a C4 throws it down an elevator shaft it causes an explosion and uh, basically knocks the terrorist out from the bottom who were trying to kill the SWAT team from coming in um, now we get back up to one of Holly's co-workers is trying to negotiate with Gruber saying oh yeah yeah he's a friend of mine uh, yeah, let me talk to him let me talk to him we'll, we'll get him out of here 
And uh, McLean's like, I'm not surrendering. And he's telling Ellis, don't do it. Don't do it. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. They're going to shoot you. And it's exactly what happens. So after Gruber kills Ellis, he makes his way up to the roof to check on the explosives to make they were still there. That's when Gruber and McLean meet for the first time. And he pretends to be an escaped hostage. McLean hands him a gun and uh, all of a sudden Gruber's like uh, his accent changes and uh, he pulls the gun up and he tries to shoot McLean. And uh, but he finds that uh, he was handed an unloaded gun. And it is only and he's only saved when uh, the elevator comes up and some more terrorists come. Um, little sidebar here though, they never truly explain how John McClane knew he was a terrorist, but a lot of the, the stuff they talk about, like director commentary and stuff, that there was a scene where he started noticing the watches of the people that he had been, the terrorists that he'd been killing. And uh, he noticed that Hans had one. So, but at this point, they, as I said, they countered, uh, Gruber tries to shoot him. McClane basically is getting ready to say, all right, this is over. When more terrorists show up, uh, McLean escapes into an office and Hans is like, um, he's barefoot, shoot the glass. So they sit there and blow out the glass and then they roll in a, a grenade and John McLean has to bolt out of there across the broken glass, makes his way out. And uh, Gruber now has the detonators and John McLean is pulling himself into the bathroom, pulling glass shards out of his feet. And at this time, the FBI shows up to take control. They order the power to be shut off, which is exactly what Hans Gruber wanted to take care of the electrical magnet on the vault downstairs that they're trying to cut into. So the FBI agrees to one of Gruber's demands is that he wants the helicopters to land up to take him and some hostages and fly them out. Well, the FBI agrees, but they're sending gunships instead of... Uh, instead of uh, normal helicopters. And the FBI agents are like, well, you know, if we lose about half the hostages, it's a fair deal. But McLean realizes that Gruber's wanting to blow up the roof when the helicopters land to make it look like everybody died and that way they can slip out the bottom um, through the garage and everything and uh, make a clean break with these untraceable bear bonds. So the helicopters are coming in Realizing this, John McClane makes his way to the roof as the terrorists are taking the hostages up there to be to be blown up. And uh, hostages, the, the terrorists open the door. John McClane's there, shoots a couple terrorists, waves a machine gun, says, everybody get out, get out, just go down, Joe, make your way down. And just as the uh, gunships are coming up, they see, all they see is some wild guy throwing, throwing around a machine gun and shooting up in the air. So they start opening fire on him. So John's now running from the good guys, the FBI, and trying to escape from them. And uh, they're coming around. He takes a fire hose, ties it around him, and he jumps off the side of the building. And as Hans Gruber blows up the top of the building, taking out both the uh, FBI gunship helicopters. So we have... Uh, um, one guy I didn't mention was Theo, was the uh, terrorist nerd who was trying to hack into the uh, the, uh, the the vault. 
And, uh, well, now, while well, this is going on upstairs, Theo then makes his way down into the parking garage where uh, they have a couple ambulances that they're going to pretend to be going out as, as uh, dead. But Argyle, our limo driver, sees them and uh, knocks Theo out. So it's kind of cool there. A wary batter, John McClane, finds Holly with Gruber and his last remaining henchman. McClane shreds to Gruber and is about to be shot, but he grabs a, a concealed service pistol taped to his back with his last two bullets. He wounds Gruber and kills the Gruber, not Gruber, Gruber, and kills the accomplice. Gruber crashes through a window, but he's holding onto Holly's hand. And uh, so John McClane runs over there. He undoes, he undoes, <laughs> undoes the watch, and uh, and Gruber falls to his death. And now the police and the FBI are making their way through, clearing the building. John McClane finally meets uh, Sergeant Al Powell face to face. And one thing that they talked about during during the movie was why Al was a desk jockey, and he explains he accidentally shot a kid, and he didn't. He don't think he doesn't think he could ever raise his gun to hurt anybody again. That's kind of important. Because as they're out there meeting and John's introducing Al to his wife, Holly, Carl, the terrorist who everybody thought was dead, comes out and he's aiming his gun and getting ready. He's going to kill John McClane. And all of a sudden he hears, pow, pow, pow. And in the movie, all you see is the barrel of the gun as Al Pal shoots Carl dead. And uh, that's pretty much the end of the movie. I mean... There's a lot to Die Hard, though, because it is a, uh, it's like we're action, we're, the action movies of the 80s were flipping into something more of the 90s. They were more with the wit and the comedy. Um, John Bruce Willis at the time was an everyman guy. He was from, he was the, he was a detective from Moonlighting. He was in a Blind Date and he was just, he wasn't the muscle bound Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dolph Lundgren, Sylvester Stallone. He wasn't that style of guy. And, the, I mean, there was a lot other things that go on in the movie. I mean, the most famous line, uh, yippee Kaye, mother, and uh, different things like this. But the humor, the action, that Die Hard is actually considered one of the five greatest action movies of all time. Um, I put it up there, uh, T2. Die Hard. I mean, if you're just sticking with action movies, um, uh, I'm not a fan, not a really good fan of Die Hard 2. Die Hard 3 uh, with Samuel L. Jackson is very enjoyable. And I may be on the short list here, but I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Live Free and Die Hard, even though it was filmed PG-13. Um, there is a director's cut with a little bit more violence, a little bit more language. But... And then you got uh, a good day to die hard, where he meets up his son with his son in Russia. It's by far the worst movie of the Die Hard series. So that was me quickly rambling through. I, I mean, trust me, Die Hard is a classic. Um, I didn't do. I really didn't do it any real good justice, except for just giving you the basic plot lines. It has. You guys, because you got to think, it was also this movie came out pre-cell phone, pre-internet. That so when the terrorists come in, they cut the power, 
and the phone lines, and at that point you are stuck. You cannot call out. So there were no cell phones at this time. So, so there's me rambling about Die Hard real quick. Um, it's one of my favorite movies. So when we come back, we're when I come back, we're going to talk about uh, talk about Bruce Willis. We're going to talk about Alan Rickman. Um, a plethora of movies that are diehard on a what? Because that's where this came from. When you're diehard on a plane, diehard on a ship, diehard on a bus, diehard on a planet. I mean, just crazy things like this where they try to be, become the next diehard. Springtime has sprung, and it is time to pull out the grill and the smoker. For me, there's nothing better on the weekend than throwing on a brisket or a pork butt or some chicken wings. But you know what? Sometimes barbecue sauce just doesn't cut it, and you just need that little kick in the butt. That's why I reach for Half's Hot Sauce. Big on flavor and big on heat. Half's Hot Sauce is a small batch company based in New Philadelphia, Ohio. And everything is made with all natural ingredients. Not only is it big on flavor and big on heat, it's also fun names for their product. Let me tell you, you can reach for your main squeeze, or you can always have more cowbell, trippy pickle, killer kiwi hot sauce, pineapple, which is my personal favorite, hot tropic hot sauce, sugar rush, sugar rush peach hot sauce, you can always go to the Indigo Fire Blueberry Hot Sauce. Or you can always reach for the old Razzle Dazzle. And it's not, not just hot sauces either. They also sell honey. Some of it uh, infused with uh, habanero or ghost pepper. So you can't go wrong with Half's Hot Sauce. And uh, Brian will ship anywhere in the United States. He has $6 flat rate shipping, which is the best deal they have. And you can also check them out on uh, on their on their website at halfshotsauce.com. And then from there, you can just follow them. You can place your orders. But when you check out, use the code 80s and you'll get 5% off your entire order. So make sure you do that. Spell out 80s and get 5% off your order. And you definitely have to check out Half's Hot Sauce. So what did Die Hard do? Well, domestically, Die Hard made $83.8 million with an international gross of $57.7 million with a combined worldwide gross of $141 million, over $141 million. And it also had a 30th uh, anniversary release in uh, 2018. And uh, it pulled in... Uh, 
620,000 that week. It didn't come out near me, or I would have probably have gone and seen it because I thoroughly enjoyed watching Die Hard on the big screen. Now, Die Hard on Rotten Tomatoes is one of those anomaly movies where uh, it has one, it's a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes and it's a 94% on the, uh, uh, the audience score. Um, very few people do not like this movie and for I, I don't know why they wouldn't I mean it has everything it has comedy, it has action uh, some great violence, some great fight scenes but it's, it's one of those movies that to me as I said is one of the best action movies of all time so two of the main stars in Die Hard was Bruce Willis even though he was nowhere near the first choice he wanted to do for this movie. And technically, the screenplay that Die Hard is based off of is a sequel to a movie that Frank Sinatra did. And legally, they had to offer it to Frank Sinatra first. Thank God he turned it down. Then they've also turned around and they offered it to Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, among others, who all turned it down or had conflicts and couldn't do it. And they ended up going with uh, Bruce Willis. And they didn't think the movie was going to do anything. They were like, we don't have this action star. Bruce Willis is just an everyman who was in, as I said, moonlighting and just various things like that. And boy, were they wrong. Because Die Hard made Bruce Willis a megastar. And it brought him from being just a comedian, um, to, to a comedic type actor, into you can carry a franchise with him. And they have done that since then, too. As I said, with the multiple Die Hard movies, um, some of my other personal favorites, even though they've only made two of them, was uh, Red, Retired Extremely Dangerous, with uh, Bruce Willis, John Malkovich. Morgan Freeman, I mean, there are just some, uh, Carl Urban, there are some great actors in, uh, in that series too, but with, uh, Bruce Willis, he, uh, as I said, the, 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 uh, studio didn't even want Bruce Willis in it, and a lot of the, uh, the marketing for the movie tried to cut him out, and... They, I mean, now looking back, you're like, what in the world? Why in the world would they want to do that? And because of Die Hard, as I said, Bruce Willis has done some other incredible movies. Um, some of my personal favorites are The Last Boy Scout, uh, The Fifth Element, Armageddon, and some of uh, the uh, other popular ones that some of the, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of. Yes, I'm not a fan of Pulp Fiction. I enjoy it, but it's nowhere near my favorite movies. Um, and there's some other ones. Hostage, the Red Series. He was in uh, the, a couple of the Expendables. And then he also tried his hand at singing, sort of like Eddie Murphy did too at the same time, with his album, The Return of Bruno. And he's also done Broadway, where he was in Misery. And uh, unfortunately, 
um, I posted an article on the Facebook group page about what's going on with Bruce Willis right now and uh, his diagnosis that basically is forcing him to re, uh, re unfortunately retire from acting. And uh, it, it's very sad because lately, you don't, now, now it makes sense though because lately he was doing movies where he's got different smaller parts in it but he's in it just because you could slap Bruce Willis's name on it and people were going to see the movie and everything like that. But like some of the movies he's done in the last probably five years have not been very good. And actually he's only on set for like, was only on set for like two, three, four days tops. And uh, his body double, his stunt double did a lot of it. So, I mean... So, so it's just it's just one of those things. It's very sad now, with uh, Bruce Willis losing, um, starting to lose his faculties, um, not being able to understand what's going on. I, my understanding, it's sort of like a, a version of Alzheimer's, that uh, they were starting to have accidents on sets, and they weren't being able to trust him with uh, with the guns and stuff like that. And especially with what happened with the movie Rust recently, that you, you don't want to take that. And he's got his family with him. I mean, his ex-wife Demi Moore and him are still good friends. And uh, his children are there. Um, basically, they want to help him get through all this. And as I said, it's very sad because Bruce Willis has been one of my favorite actors for a very, very long time. So, yeah, I mean, he was he was married to Demi Moore and uh, his uh, current wife uh, Emma Henning, and his five children. So, with that, I I hope I hope he uh, I hope he gets the help that he needs, and uh, and if he doesn't act again, it's sad, but it's good because he's had an incredible career. I mean, some of my other personal favorites are not his action movies, but he did a movie called North. Um, he did a movie uh, with Michelle Pfeiffer called The Story of Us, which is a very dysfunctional style movie about uh, a couple who are having trouble um, getting ready for a divorce and everything like that. But now let's talk about the other big name in Die Hard, and that is the late, great Alan Rickman. Everybody knows, uh, unfortunately, Alan Rickman passed away in January of 2016. He um, was not the first choice to play Hans Gruber. That, um, but he was the perfect choice. We want I want to make sure we get that said. He was the perfect choice. Um, he was always a stage actor, uh, TV, uh, television shows and stuff over in Britain and in uh, and over in Europe but um, if I remember hearing right his first American cinematic role was Hans Gruber and then he's also played uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham and Robin Hood Prince of Thieves he was in Quigley Down Under uh, and then everybody knows he was Snape in the Harry Potter series 
Um, he was also in uh, Dogma, very underrated, very hard to find movie from Kevin Smith. And then my personal favorite Alan Rickman movie, Galaxy Quest. The whole idea of what happens if Captain Kirk had to save the planet. So, with uh, Alan Rickman being uh, cast in here, he was not, as I said, he wasn't the first choice. They wanted to go with Sam Neill. And uh, he ended up having to turn it down because of uh, conflict of interest, or not conflict of interest, uh, conflict of schedules. So it went to, to Rickman, and um, I, you couldn't have got a better, more perfect Hans Gruber. So a couple of things about the filming of the movie that, uh, especially with Alan Rickman, the scene at the very end of the movie, when they drop him out of the, uh, out of the Nakatomi tower, they told him they had this rig set up where he was holding the watch and, uh, they were supposed to let go of the watch. They told him on the count of three, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to film you dropping. The director went one and hit the button. And the look of fear and terror on Rickman's face is genuine because he was waiting for two and three when they dropped him. And the, and the director was like, I got called a lot of bad names after I did that by him, but he also understood what I was doing afterwards. So cultural impact about Die Hard. We got some sequels, some good, not so good. And as I said, you get the whole idea of now where people will talk about action movies. It's Die Hard on a what? Speed, Die Hard on a bus. Speed 2, Die Hard on a cruise ship. Um, Under Siege 2 was, or Under Siege and Under Siege 2 were called Die Hard on a Navy vessel and Die Hard on a train. And you, you just get that where movies are trying to copy and emulate you and that's that's a sign of a good movie honestly instead of certain movies just having good spots and parts in it yeah i mean they want to copy you as a whole as a movie they want to copy that the uh the whole idea of well we don't need sex in here we don't need in unwarranted love story let's just go in we throw some humor in we throw in some good action we throw in some moments to make our hero look more human instead of muscle bound and all that and Die Hard today is still a classic movie it's one of the top five best action movies of all time Uh, John McClane is the everyman hero Hans Gruber is still one of the greatest villains even though you really haven't fleshed him out and I know people, fan fiction and stuff like that, have talked about what Hans Gruber did before all this. And But if you've never seen Die Hard, it is dated on some of the technology. As I said, no internet, no cell phones, and different things like that. But if you just sit back and realize it's a movie from 1988, and enjoy the violence and enjoy the comedy and everything like that you can't go wrong and one of the other things about Die Hard before I, before I end this episode is Nakatomi Tower or Nakatomi Plaza was actually the new Fox Tower 
Um, they were building the Fox building, and since 20th Century Fox is who released Die Hard, they said, hey, we got these floors. We're still finishing. If you want to film, film. And they did. They filmed there from uh, November to March, November of 87 to March of 88. And it worked out great, especially on their budget, because one, Fox owned the building. 20th Century Fox owned it. So they didn't really have to pay to shoot in a location. And it, it, and it's one of those things now that you look back and you're thinking, well, that's kind of ingenious. So, so yeah, Nakatomi Tower or Nakatomi Plaza is actually the Fox, Fox building and everything like that now downtown LA. So that's Die Hard. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. If you, um, it's almost always running on TV somewhere. Um, it's, it's a favorite of FX. Uh, sometimes if you can go to Pluto, it's on Pluto or Tubi. Um, you can rent it on Vudu, probably Amazon Prime. I mean, it's it's out there. Um, if you want to borrow my DVD of it, I, I can lend that to you. I mean, most people don't even have DVD players anymore. But, so that's Die Hard. Hope you enjoyed it. Next week, season finale, 1989. And, uh... It's gonna be one of my. It's gonna be. It, I don't. I'm new. I always talk about. I'm gonna be. It's, it's one of my favorite movies. One of my favorite movies. I mean, I'm gonna to have to do movies I don't like soon, aren't I? So, but nope. The next one is gonna be a very enjoyable, a very controversial movie actually, on the casting, on certain parts of the movie, on the the, the director and who was cast in the parts. So, so in two weeks, you'll have to come back and see what I'm talking about. But until then, Nanu Nanu, live long and prosper, and may the force be with you. And if you haven't watched it, go watch Die Hard.